some great news that I want to share with you all. By the way, I think we have the most exciting church in the state of Texas, but that's just my opinion. Um, but anyway, uh, just let you know that August, the last week in August now, our covered arena is going to be delivered right over here. So, yes, it looks like if everything goes right outside of um, circumstances beyond our control, such as rain, and we could use some rain, uh, we would gladly have it take longer to put it up. But anyway, so it looks like October we should have an arena standing right here to the north of our church. So we're very excited about that. Continue to pray and uh, continue to give. I uh, thought I'd throw that in there as well. Pray and pay. How's that sound, right? Yeah. One other thing I wanted to update you on, which we have been waiting for so long, is our new student ministry center, which is right up the road here. We finally have everything done. It's finally done. Yes. So... It doesn't mean the inside's completed, but we are going to begin now to completely reconstruct that. And I pray that we have the most awesome uh, college and student ministry center in Wichita Falls and surrounding area. So, yeah. Every one of you that clapped, I expect to see you up there for labor. You can cook. Yeah. Uh, you can bring chicken fried steak. Uh, you name it. Coconut cream packed uh, so uh, if you're here for the first time, I personally here as the pastor here, I uh, want to just welcome you. I hope that you feel welcomed here uh, and uh, hope you feel just loved and accepted and, and just, uh, just enjoy just being here with just a bunch of people who, who just are so grateful that Jesus Christ has changed their life. And uh, that's really all we are. We are. We're blessed. And so we're just glad you're here this morning. Um, Look at them all come in. Y'all just turn around and wave. I'm going to enjoy this all morning long. If you see me laughing up here and pausing and listen, it's not you on the front row. It's, 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 it's all that. No. Well, let's go ahead this morning, and I would like to open up in prayer as we uh, just have this awesome time to be able to come together and open the Word of God up today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are very grateful, God, for the things that we see you doing. And uh, Lord, I am so grateful, Lord, for... Uh, just the opportunities, Lord, that you've set before us, God, as a church. I want to thank you for all these people, God, that are here, that are part of this local church family, that, that Lord, are, are just such incredible people, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that uh, we're blessed to be here today. Thank you for your word, God. Man, thank you, Lord, that your word is alive, Lord, that it is everlasting. Thank you, Lord, for every new person here, Lord, or for everybody, everyone that's even maybe been here a month or a week, Lord, that, Lord, maybe if, if hopefully they've been They've been interacted with by someone, um, Lord, that they, they are valuable and, and, and we're glad they're here, Lord. So I pray that, that they would experience and know your love, Lord, if they don't today and what it really means to be in Christ and this incredible experience of salvation. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all come on in. We started 30 minutes ago. Come on in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to have so much fun this morning. Mm. All right. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And uh, I hope that you bring your Bibles with you. I know that we do put those up on the uh, transparent, or I don't know what they call this thing, a projector. And you can look at it there, or maybe your phone. Uh, I want to welcome everybody uh, who is watching this morning, or those that are listening by radio. We do want to welcome you here as well. So glad that you've tuned in. And uh, that you're really a part here of, of what we're doing. And thank you for, for taking time to, to listen in this morning. 
If you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 7, um, I just want to start off this morning uh, by saying that there really is no part of Romans that uh, has been the object of more scrutiny, uh, more debate, and the source of more confusion than Romans chapter 7. And throughout history, the history of the church, Romans chapter 7 has had very strong opinions on both sides of what Paul is getting at, especially in the 14th through 25th verses of Romans 7. And what they're really, uh, I guess, trying to figure out or have been debating over for years is whether or not the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, 14 through 25, where he has the word I mentioned 27 times, is the Apostle Paul speaking about a believer struggling with the old nature, struggling with sin, uh, whether this was Paul's own um, testimony, experience, or whether this person mentioned Paul is using this metaphorically as an individual who has never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, not a believer in Christ. Um, and there's a third one that, uh, that, that we also know is there. In, is, is Paul speaking here from experience of being a Jew under the law of God without the Spirit of God? And this thing has been debated, I'm talking like for, for eons of time. And if, if, there's, if there's a section in Scripture where people don't often like to, you might want to answer that. I probably need to preach somewhere else this morning. <laughs> Let me make sure we don't get some announcements on that. Just kidding. Um, I don't even know who it was, but I hope it embarrassed you. Just a little, just a little, okay? I better check mine right thinking about it. Hold on. Because you know what? The Lord has a sense of humor. And I might be next. <laughs> Hold on. We can get around our phones. Hang on, we got it. It was on sound. Did you hear me? Yeah, I probably would have been next. All right, there we go. <laughs> so this has been a, 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 an issue here um, within the church body. Now, this has got really nothing to do with our salvation. Praise God for that. But it does tell us something um, about Paul and about what he's doing through the book of Romans. Now, next week and the week after, I'm going to spend some time um, helping background some, some calves that have been bought for wheat. And uh, these cattle have been vaccinated now one time. And then when they ship them to the new owner, they're going to have a revaccination done because of the time period that actually lapses from the first shot to the virus and so on and so forth. So they don't have a relapse. And these cattle get sick and die. Um, and so backgrounding these cattle is very important uh, for the profitability of the owner and for the welfare of the calves. It's very, very important that we do these revacs. And so um, we're going to do that this next week. Um, and what we're going to do now is we are going to, to look at some background here. Because you and I, trust me, are going to struggle over understanding Romans chapter 7 if we do not grasp some of the background. In fact, we're going to miss out on the profit not as in profit as in somebody profiting. It's, 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 a, it's, it's like profit as in value. We're going to miss the great value here in Romans chapter 7 if we don't look at the background. And so it's not going to be for our betterment if we don't understand the background of what Paul is writing here. Now, I know we've talked about some of these things in the past, but the truth is when you study Scripture, there's some things you need to know. You need to understand a little bit about who it was written to, because not all of Scripture was written to you and to me. It was written for us, but not all of it's written to us. 
In other words, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, which I love that one, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's not written to me. That's written to the nation of Israel. Now, I see the character of God in all of that, and I know that God is never changing, and I see the precepts of God, but there were things written in the Old Testament that were written for us, but not to us. There's things in the New Testament that we see that Paul is speaking about, and he's, he's speaking to a certain group of people. And in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he's speaking to two groups of people primarily. There's a third, but primarily only two people, two people groups. Number one is who? The Jews. Number two is who? The Gentiles. And those within the church, the Jews and the Gentiles, are primarily who Paul is speaking to. Universally, he also has areas like Romans chapter 1 and other areas where he's speaking universally to mankind or about mankind. Like being in Adam, for example. We were all in Adam. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't make any difference. And so Paul is really directly talking at certain times in the book of Romans to a specific if you will, group and culture of people. Not all of it's directed straight to a Gentile. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the background here. So if I wanted, for, for example, I shared this this morning in Church in the Dirt. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated with some of the wars that we've had in our country and study some of those things, but has anybody ever studied a little bit about, about uh, D-Day in our history? Some of you study about D-Day? Absolutely, about Anybody in here uh, ever, were they alive when it happened? <laughs> we got one honest person in the whole group, right? Hey, it's okay. Hey, listen, wisdom comes with age. That's nothing to be afraid of, right? That's good stuff. And so, although I wasn't, I wasn't alive when it happened, I can study the events of history. I mean, we can even look at pictures, um, I can watch video where the tailgate of the boat goes down and the soldiers on the very front begin to charge out of there and some of them don't even make it two or three steps before they're gunned down. And you see men running for the beach, running for cover, and they're, they're, they're getting laid down everywhere and men still running as they storm the beaches of Normandy. I mean, I can see it through video. I can watch pictures. I can read accounts of soldiers who were there. But I still cannot, in its entirety, grasp what it was like for the young 18 or 17 or whatever he was, year old man who just left home not months ago, graduated high school, and he now lets the gate go down and he sees the beaches of Normandy and he begins to charge the beach. I cannot comprehend and grasp it in its entirety because I wasn't there. Same thing with the Word of God. The very best that we can do sometimes is study history the true history about what was going on in the times that Paul was writing this. And so we're going to look at three things primarily this morning as a beginning understanding of, of how, we're going to, how we're going to jump into Romans chapter 7. It really applies to all scripture. First thing we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at when this letter was written. Because it does make a difference on when this letter was written to a degree. Because if we didn't know when the letter was written, we wouldn't understand primarily what was going on exactly at the time in the early church that Paul was writing to in Rome. We wouldn't understand. So the date's important. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the recipients of the letter. Who were the recipients of the letter? And we've talked about this in the past, but this is very important as we come into Romans chapter 7 that you and I grasp who these recipients were. We know that there were two recipients primarily. Paul is writing to those who are loved by God and are saints in Rome. That's who Paul is writing to. Well, that was comprised of two different groups of people. Jews 
and Gentiles. That's who it was comprised of. The third thing we're going to look at before we ever take our one little step into the new pasture here of Romans chapter 7 is we're going to look at what was going on in the history during this time to that early church who was but 24 years old at the time that Paul wrote this letter to them in Rome. Now, this church has been here 11 years, and God has done incredible things here in 11 years and continuing to do so. But can you imagine that basically just a little over twice of the life of this church, and some of you have been here from this church's inception, that that's how young this church was in Rome. That's how young it was. So the first thing we're going to talk about is when this was written. Okay, let's, let's look at that. First of all, we know uh, that this letter was written about 57 A.D. 57 A.D. That's 24 years after the burial, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 24 years. That's not very long. I mean, I'm pushing 25, and it's been like a flash. Okay? We're going to double that here before long. <laughs> hmm. So anyway, um, not only that, but then we had Pentecost that came 50 days after the ascension. Really after the Passover, which was right there. 50 days later, they're still celebrating Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes now with the disciples gathered there. And the Holy Spirit does something for the first time that's ever happened in the history of the world um, for humanity, other than Christ, is that the Holy Spirit was going to go from being with man to being in man. The Holy Spirit had actually come upon a man. Um, for example, Samson, for example, in the Old Testament, when he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. All right, man didn't do that. The Holy Spirit empowered him to do what he did as they judged the Philistine people. But this time, something incredible was happening. For the first time, the Holy Spirit of God was going to come from heaven. Jesus says, when I go, I will send him. And now he came and he indwelt for the first time humanity. That the Holy Spirit indwelt man, made his home and his dwelling within the temple of man. And the church is born right there in Acts chapter 2. And we know the Bible says that God-fearing Jews from all over the known world gathered there at Pentecost. And they were blown away because they were hearing now from these disciples, these apostles, they're hearing now the gospel in their, all their own language. I mean, that's incredible. Only God could do that. Why? It was supernatural. And so we know that Jews from Rome were there. And they heard the gospel, they go back to Rome, and we know that the early church was started by those, more than likely, that heard the gospel there in Acts chapter 2. And so they begin now. Now this church now was comprised of, guess who primarily, although it was Jew and Gentile, guess who the primary group was in the early church there? It was Jews. These were Jewish individuals. So the church had a culture of Jewishness to it, all right? But then it also had Gentile as well. And let me say, say this. Um, there, was, there, was, there was radical, if you will, uh, type of racism to a degree between the Jew and the Gentile. There just was. Uh, the Jew didn't have much of anything for the Gentile. I mean, really nothing. Why? Because the Gentile was considered to be completely away from God. The Jews now, they were a special people. Why? Because God did something. He gathered for himself that, people, that group of people and made them a nation of his own, a people of his own, where he would be their God and they would be his people. And he did some crazy things and gave them laws and he gave them uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the festivals and he gave them holidays and he, he did thing called circumcision and he kind of takes a group of people and he sets them apart from the rest of the world and they look different and they act different and they are different. And that's what God did with the nation of Israel. 
But he told Abraham that, listen, the whole world's going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And that's because Christ was going to come and the gospel was for the whole world. And it's an incredible thing. So the church was comprised mostly in A.D. 57, or actually when the church started at Pentecost, of primarily Jews and then Gentiles. Um, and we know that that's the case and how it was done. Very interesting, though, something happened to the early church. Um, something took place. Um, there was an emperor there in Rome by the name of Claudius. Claudius was Rome, was, was the Roman emperor. And, and what he did was... 16 years after Pentecost, the church is just 16 years old. That means four years, do my math, five years older than this church is. Something happened. The Roman emperor Claudius made a law that all Jews had to get out of Rome. They had to leave Rome. That included the Messianic Jews, the Christian Jews. They had to leave home. Now, there was something happening. The early churches met in houses. That's what they did. They were house churches. And we know that because in the last book here in 16, chapter 16 of Romans, we learn that Paul sends his greetings now to those in Rome. And there's a couple there that he sends greetings to by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. If you know your Bible at all, he met them in Acts chapter 18. Um, and he sends his greetings to them. And he says something there. Greet also the church that meets in their house. And so early churches would have met in people's homes. That's what they would have done. But here we are now, 16 years after the church began, and all of a sudden now, the church comprised of mostly a Jewish culture now is made to leave Rome. They had to leave. It's an exodus. Guess who's left in Rome in the church? Gentiles. Christian, Gentile, Christians. That's all that's left. So the, Roman in, the, the Jewish influence... Um, and if you will, the, the hostility or the, the, the clashing together there, um, the, the Jewish influence that would never have left the, the people of Israel, even the Messianic Jews, the influence would never leave there, wouldn't leave those people. And that's one of the biggest battles Paul struggled with was helping them understand, listen, you're not under the law anymore. Don't do circumcision. Don't rely on all these things. You're in Christ now. You're in Christ now. And all through the letters as he writes to the people that are in Jewish uh, history background and those that came to Christ, he's always telling them, listen, Christ can only be crucified once. You can't go through this thing over and over again. Listen, it's only in Christ. It's not through the old law, through the Torah. It's not through all that stuff. Are you saved? That only points to your sin to let you know you need a Savior. And so their whole life was completely, completely formed around the law of God. The Jews were. Now they get kicked out of Rome. And that's where Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth as they make their way there. And the reason that they were there is because it says right here in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, while Paul was in Corinth, it says, There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Rome with, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So we know that they had an exodus. So now all of a sudden, here this church is, this young church, 16 years of age. And now, really the leaders of that church have left. They've been kicked out. Now you can imagine, we have a culture within our church. You all get that and understand that. We try to have a Western culture here. We try to have a farming and agriculture mind. You know, just, just some of the things that we do. You can look around here and say, yeah, it's pretty obvious what you guys do. Now, you can imagine if all the leadership and all of the cultural people, whether they're tied through whatever, left this church, and for five years they were gone, and then we came back, how much different would the church look when we came back? Look a lot different. Because not everybody has the same cultural mindset. 
And so this is exactly what happened to the church in Rome. The Jews were, had to leave. They were gone for five years. And then all of a sudden, Claudius, he kicks over and dies. And now the Jews are free to come back to Rome. And so now the Jews are coming back to Rome. But what are they finding when they get there and they come into the church? What are they seeing now? They're seeing a Gentile influence now in the church where they once kind of led. And the culture of that entire church took a flip-flop, if you will. And now it's, it's got more of a Gentile kind of a feel to it. You know, kind of like if you were to, to take a, a, a biker church or a, a kind of a, a cowboy church, a Western heritage church, and then you lined it up with a really strict uh, church, maybe like Lutheran or something like that. Trust me, they look different. And so when they came back home from being uh, away, guess what happened? Like this something, this is, this is a challenge here for us. And so guess what happened for a few years as Paul worked as a tent maker with a Priscilla and Aquila who were leaders of the church in Rome. Guess what they talked about? Yeah, probably how good is this camel hide or this whatever when they build the tent? Probably, yeah, okay. What was Paul's main focus in ministry? It was a church, wasn't it? He's a church planner. I tell you what Paul wanted to know was not how to do this not better <laughs> and how to make a better tent. What Paul wanted to know was tell me about the church in Rome. Tell me about the believers in Rome. I want to know because I've never been there. I want to go, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit, he's kept me from going. I want to go. I really do. And one day I'm going to go to Rome, Paul says. So tell me, what, tell me about this church. And so I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila, they're sharing with him about the church in Rome. It's comprised of such and such. And these are some of the issues we face. And you know, we're, we're steeped in Judaism, so we look at things a whole lot different than the Gentiles do because the Gentiles, listen, whoo, them guys were way out there. And now they come to Christ, and all of a sudden we have these two, if you will, cultures coming together in the church and somehow having to have cohesiveness. And so Paul writes Romans three years after the Jews get to go back. And he writes this letter now to those who are loved by God and called to be saints at Rome. Paul is, is wanting to go there so that he can establish now within them the foundation of the gospel. Because he knows that there's this mm, back and forth. Listen, we are an interdenominational church here at Texoma Cowboy Church. That means I could probably name almost every single denomination and one person in here out of this huge group is going to raise their hand. So we have different backgrounds here, lots of them. We have people that come from every denominational out of evangelical Christianity. We have those who come from a background of Roman Catholicism. We have those who come out of a cult maybe of Mormonism or whatever it could be. And they're all here this morning and they've all been taught a theology and they've all been taught a doctrine and the truth of the matter is, most of us, when we're younger, growing up, we are not the teacher, we're the pupil. Is that right? And so we're learning things. Not that anything necessarily was meant to be done wrong, but what I have to do occasionally as a pastor, and you may hear me do this in a message, and you say, well, why did John say that? There's a reason I've said certain things. For example, if you're here and you come from a Pentecostal background uh, of the mindset of, of uh, the second work of grace, which provides Complete perfectionism, where you as a now uh, Christian, by the Holy Spirit and the second work of grace in your life, you can now live, you live above sin. You have perfect love. Now listen, that's what I came out of. I came out of a Wesleyan tradition of that doctrine. 
But the problem was that made me scratch my head is, that, listen, if we can arrive at sinless perfection, all of a sudden they have two classes of Christians within their church. Those who have arrived and those who haven't. I never arrived. And I never saw anyone who did, although they claimed it. John Wesley himself never even arrived at what he claimed the Bible taught about perfectionism, the second work of grace in God's sanctifying power. So I might make mention to that. If you come from Roman Catholicism, I might say something like this. The early church that we're reading about here is not the Roman Catholic Church. I might say that. Why is that? Because nowhere in Scripture is Peter ever mentioned of even being in Rome, ever. And the apostolic succession is something that they've used over the generations and generations and the Pope and uh, the papacy and, and all the bishops and all the stuff that they've done. Listen to me. It's not true. There is no succession of the papacy. There was no apostolic succession. Paul was the final apostle and he was abnormally born. And then I might say something like that. By the way, John was the last one to die. On the, and that's what happened to John. He was the last one. So I might say something like that, and I would direct it towards someone who had been taught, because you're not taught to study the Word in, Roman, in the Roman Catholic Church. You're not taught to understand it. You've got to let somebody else teach you. That's a bunch of baloney. The Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. And so I might stop in a sermon and address something like that. Why? Because I want to address a certain person directly on a certain issue. And Paul does this magnificently throughout the entire uh, writing of the, of the New Testament when he wrote two-thirds of it himself. He does that constantly. And so as we come to Romans, you have to understand in the mindset of Paul, he knows that he's writing to a people who have not really had someone come and build a foundation of the gospel there. If Peter had been there for 16 years, he surely would have had a foundation started within the church. But Paul says, I've got to go, and I don't go where, the, where, where someone else has already been. He says, I go where no one's been, so I don't build upon a foundation of man, I build upon the foundation of God. So Paul now, he says, I'm going to go to Rome. He hadn't been there yet. So he's writing this letter now to those who are in Rome. And he realizes he's got two groups of people here. He's got those that are steeped in Judaism, and he's got those who have come to faith in Christ that were never a part of Judaism and outside the covenants of God and so on and so forth. And Paul has to address these issues first and foremost. If you have your Bible, let me give you a, a secret here that Paul gives us in this in, in Romans 7. Let's just look at it real quickly. In verse 1 is all we're going to read, one verse. You ready? You could probably memorize this. Paul says, now he's a continuation of what he's been talking about, law and grace, law and grace, law and grace. Here. He's been going through this whole illustration about law and grace, offering ourselves, being set free from sin. Now we're a slave to righteousness. We were a slave to sin, but we've been broke. That's been broken. We're free. We died to sin. All these things that Paul has been saying. And now he continues on and he says, Do you not know brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to men who know the law. Who knew the law? The Jews. Do the Gentiles know the law? No. It's very interesting to me that 24 times... In 25 verses, the Apostle Paul, in this section of Scripture, chapter 7, 24 times, he uses the word law or um, commandment. He uses that three times, which the commandment is part of the law. So Paul here, 24 times from the very beginning to the very end, and it doesn't change throughout it, whether you're in 14 through 25 or 1 through 13. It doesn't matter. It's equal throughout the whole thing. He's talking about something. He's talking about the law. The law. 
What is the law? The law for the nation of Israel was the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch or the Torah. That's what the law is. And within that was the law of Moses that he gave on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And we know Paul's also speaking of the Ten Commandments here because I wouldn't even know what sin was have I not read that it was thou shalt not covet. I wouldn't know that I was a coveter. And so Paul here speaking to men who know the law, and he's talking about the law all the way through Romans chapter 7. And that's what he's discussing. So Paul's writing this letter back to the church in Rome three years after the Jews make their way back. Now listen to this about Jews. Speaking about a Jew. This is what the Bible and what Paul says about a Jew. And then we're going to look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 about a Gentile. And you want to know why there's hostility there. There still is. By the way, if you go to, to, um, to Israel today, you're going to find something very profound. You're going to find that even today yet, Israel is still zealous for God. You're going to go to the old city, to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. And what you're going to see there is a whole bunch of men... You're going to see them with their heads covered, and you're going to see them rocking and saying prayers, and, and they're, going to be, they're going to be just standing there in a big group praying. And then over to the left, there's a little secret room there that when you put a little cap to cover your head, you get to go in there. And I don't know if it's sacred ground or not. It evidently is, but we got in, and we're in there, and it's just lined with books of rabbinical teachings. And these men are in there, young and old, and what are they doing? They're studying the law of God. Because the law of God was everything, and everything in their life was affected by the law of God. Everything. It affected everything. This is what Paul says about the Romans, I mean the Jews. This will help you grasp what, we're, what Paul's getting at here. In Romans 9, still in the same letter, he says this, of the people of Israel, chapter 9, verse 4. You can write this down. Theirs, speaking of the nation of Israel, the Jews, listen to what he says. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. We know that God chose them out of all the people of the world, not because they were great or mighty, but they were actually the least. And God set his affection on them, and he said, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. So God did this. Their adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. I mean, my goodness, they have a temple that they actually go to, and the very Shekinah glory of God is in the very Holy of Holies. And I mean, it, it was incredible. They saw him on the Mount Sinai that covered the whole mountain, and they heard rumblings and flashes of lightning, and they were led by a cloud, a cloud at night and a fire by night, I mean, and a cloud by day. And God did all these incredible things through the Red Sea and fought their battles. And, and I mean, it's just incredible stuff that this God did. They, they saw the glory of God. Incredible. The covenants. Oh, they got the covenants of God. The Abrahamic covenants and so on and so forth. The receiving of the law. That's the Torah. The five books of the, of the Old Testament. The first five books. They received that from God. That didn't, that wasn't given to the Gentiles. It was given to the nation of Israel. From Moses by God. The temple worship and the promises. Not only that, all of the festivals that they did. And not only that, all of the, 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 um, the holidays they were to to remember and Passover and all those things are all for the people of, of Israel. And then it says this, that they were so, in, the law was so a part of their life. Listen to what Moses tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hang with me here. I'm just trying to get you ready for what Paul is doing here. If you, if you read this, I'm going to read, it's a little lengthy, but it says, these are the commands and decrees 
and the laws that the Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and your children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all of these decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Now listen to what he says. Verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. The Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today, listen to what he told them to do. Listen to this. Are to be on your hearts. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The law of God, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament were the life of the nation of Israel. In fact, what will amaze you in, in Israel even this morning or when you go there, you're going to find as you go down to the Western Wall, these men have got straps wrapped around their arms with prayers and they've got a box on their forehead that this is where it comes from. Put them on your foreheads, bind them. These, these men are down there and they have all this stuff. It's the prayers, it's the Torah. This is what they're doing. It's still happening today. All these generations later, they're still doing this. Why? Because they're zealous for God. But they stumbled over Christ stumbled over the stumbling stone or the, the cornerstone, if you will, the capstone. So to a Jew, it was their entire identity. Now, can you imagine for a Jew how difficult it was for them to go from the law, from the Torah, from circumcision, from all of the festivals, from all of the holidays, from, from the going to, the, um, to worship and everything that they did. They left those things and placed their full faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That was hard for them to do. That's why the apostle, throughout all of his writings, as he's dealing with Jews, he's always saying, listen guys, don't go back to circumcision. Don't allow yourself to be circumcised. There's no profit in that. Christ came to circumcise the heart, not the flesh. Don't go back to those things. Don't go back. He kept saying, don't go back, don't go back, don't go back. Why? Because the Jews were so influenced by the culture that they couldn't hardly keep from going back. It's hard for them. And then you've got the Gentiles. <laughs> you want to hear what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 about us? About who we are and who we were? should say who we were. Listen to what it says. Paul writing to those in Ephesus, he says, Therefore, in verse 11 of chapter 2, So on one hand we have this Jew that's so encapsulated by the law, the Torah, everything to do with God, and now on the other side of this we have this group. Remember at one time that you Gentiles, that's every one of us who's not a Jew, that's us, that's me, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, that's what they called them, you're uncircumcised, you're, you're not set apart for God, you know, that, you're uncircumcised. By what is called circumcision, which is by, made in the flesh by hands. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. These are all encouraging statements. Strangers to the covenants and promise, having no hope without God in this world. That is the Gentile. Can you imagine the hostility between these two? It's still there today. The whole world in Israel, it's still there. They hate Israel, they hate Israel. It's still there. The hostility is still there. Even today, 2018, hostility is still strong. And now within this church, which is an incredible thing, that God brings this whole thing together. But listen to what it goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 13. I love the word but, one T, but. But now in Christ Jesus, speaking to the Gentiles, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made, listen to this, this is incredible, listen to this. For he has made both of us, Jew and Gentile. Listen to what he's done. He has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might making peace so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Isn't that amazing? That is the beauty of what has happened here. But nonetheless, Paul is writing this letter to two groups of people who no less were struggling with these two things. So here's Paul. He's writing now this, this, these letters He's writing to Rome. He knows some of the issues there. He realizes that the Jews are going to go back to a primarily Gentile now world. Now listen, so when, when he's talking about the law in Romans, who primarily is Paul speaking to? The Jew. When he's talking about almost an exasperation, if grace abounds, if sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And then he says, so does that mean we should go on sinning? And he slaps his forehead and says, by no means. Who do you think he's speaking to primarily? The Gentiles. Why? The Jewish law was something that the Jews focused on. They looked at the Gentiles as the biggest heathens there are in the entire world. What happens is the Jew was having so much trouble not going back under the law and relying on it that Paul had to constantly say, listen to me, you have died to the law. You've died to it. Not only that, the Gentiles, he says, guess what, guys? You have died to sin. Because this is what the Gentile would do. You know what his struggle was? The gospel is so good, the gospel is so free, the, the gospel is so incredible that it's almost dangerous. You know why? Because the grace of God abounds more than any sin could ever abound. And what Paul was preaching about to those in Rome was not only the Jew, he would single out and say, listen to me, I'm going to give you this illustration of marriage out of Deuteronomy. You'll understand what I'm saying about divorce here in Romans 7. 
And you're going to know what it means to be divorced from the one and married to the other. You're going to understand the difference between law and grace. You're going to get this, hopefully, by the grace of God, because you want to use the law as the way that you get to God. And the only way to God is through the blood of Christ Jesus. And then there was the Gentile over there saying, man, this thing is incredible. Look at the grace that God has given me. I was not even a part of Israel. I had nothing to do with the covenants. I didn't even have the law. I was outside an alien, an enemy of God. And what did he do? His grace abounded and covered all things. And now I've been brought into the commonwealth of Israel. And I'm now a son and daughter of the God of all creation. So this is so amazing. Guess what? If grace abounds where sin abounds, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep on sinning more. So he used his liberty his liberty, where grace came in, he was, he was guilty of using his liberty to just continue in his own life of the Gentile mindset. Paul has two polarities here that he's addressing in Romans. It's the Jew that sucked himself back under the law. And it's the Gentile who allowed himself to continue, he thought, to live in the same way that he used to live. And Paul has to address both of them throughout Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 16, all the way to the very end. If you don't understand this, you'll never understand Romans. If you don't understand the fact that when we get to Romans chapter 7, and 24 times, the Apostle Paul is talking about the law, marriage, divorce, set free. Actually, marriage, death, set free, remarried. Talking to the Jew, he'll understand it and get it. Paul talks about not even knowing what sin was until the law made him aware of it, and thus it brought death in his life. And then they say, well, people say, well, John, no, 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 there's something changes in verse, in, in, in verse uh, uh, chapter 14. We have a switch here, but Paul says, listen, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. He never stops talking about the law, even through 14 to 25. This is what I believe, and we're going to get there. It's almost to me as if when you're filling out a document and you're going down through there and you get to line 10 and it says uh, some of the question, if this does not apply to you, skip down to line what? 30. Because it didn't apply to me. Now, I'm not saying this doesn't apply to us Gentiles, but I'm going to tell you what I really believe with all my heart. Paul is speaking here to the Jew in Christ who is being sucked back under the law. Paul is going to share with them his own experience about what it meant to be living under the law of God. The Holy Spirit's not even mentioned in chapter 7. Chapter 6 is all about being under the law. Guess what chapter 8 is about? Chapter 7 is all about being under the law. What's chapter 7? All about being in the life of the Spirit. Contrast. Polar opposites. And so as we make our way through Romans chapter 7, it'll help you understand that the I in, in, in 14 through 25, I believe, we're going to get to it, but has to do with those who are under the law, not dealing with me. I will confess every one of us struggle with sin, and there's parts about this that really are an aspect of the Christian life. If you say you don't struggle with sin, you're lying to yourself. This flesh is something we'll struggle with for the rest of our life. But I believe Paul is onto something else here. I hope that helps you this morning. I hope that makes a little more sense. And... Uh, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you as we make our way through Romans chapter 7. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'll make this make sense to those that are listening and those that are writing notes and studying. Uh, Lord, that 
this, this, this unbelievable word that you have given us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Lord, is absolutely incredible. I thank you, Lord, that uh, although we know that for Gentiles that the law has been written on our hearts, we understand that, God. For when we do things uh, that the law says not to do, it's a judgment in and of itself, Lord, that we understand it. But Lord, primarily not speaking of a universal law here, but the law that you gave to the nation of Israel, Lord. Pray that you'd help us understand what it means, Lord, to live under the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've made this way possible because none of us could do it. No man can. Israel has still failed. They failed miserably from the time the law was given unto this very day because no man can keep the law. But thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law in each and every one of us, Father. And that we stand before you today because of Christ's amazing grace, love, forgiveness, goodness, sacrifice, payment, and his salvation today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.